All right. Thanks for listening. Why don't we take that short break here at Revolution Radio, PremiumSlips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host. Welcome back. This is the second hour of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, broadcasting live out of an old ice cream trailer parked somewhere in the woods of western Wisconsin, hidden under a bunch of white pines and a few red pines, out of which I've been making pine needle tea. But that's another story, because this is not a health and healing uh, alternative herbal remedy show. This is a hardcore truth-seeking show. Some call it a conspiracy show. It's certainly not just conspiracy theories. I think it's conspiracy facts. Um, and two of the best documented uh, incidents here in the U.S. in all of our history are the false flag on 9-11, which I spoke of in the first hour with author Ray McGinnis, and the coup d'etat that killed President John F. Kennedy. And yet these two very obvious facts have been obfuscated by the corporate-controlled mainstream media and whoever owns them, the oligarchy, the deep state, uh, and we could get a little more specific, and maybe we will. But anyway, so we did 9-11 in the first hour tonight. Now it's time to move on to the JFK issue. Uh, this is the kind of thing you only hear on Truth Jihad Radio, so please do remember to subscribe at Substack. You can do that by going to truthjihad.com and keep this going. Okay, so... Ralph Sink of the Oswald Innocence Project is the scriptwriter for a new film called The Pro Bono Watchman. has a great trailer. Apparently, one of the issues in the film, I don't know if it's the MacGuffin, is an ice flechette bullet that could be used to shoot somebody and have the ice quickly melt and release a shellfish toxin or other nerve agent and paralyze the victim. Well, that is what Ralph thinks happened to JFK. The famous shot in the back that many have called the magic bullet. What if it wasn't a bullet? What if it was an ice flechette? You know, I don't, I don't do these kinds of magic bullet deconstructions on this show very often. If I did, I would get a reputation for being that kind of conspiracy theorist. But uh, Ralph is a good guy, and he does a good uh, interview, and uh, I like his movies too. So he's, he's worth talking about it with. So hey, welcome, uh, Ralph. How are you? Thank you very much, Kevin. It's great to, to be here. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to give your audience just a little bit of a background on me. Since, uh, some yeah, of since I, I didn't introduce you properly, so you go ahead and do it. Okay, that's okay. Yeah. Well, I don't mind doing it. I'm, uh, I've been an active JFK researcher for 10 years, exactly. I started in 2011, and it was in 2012 that we started the Oswald Innocence Campaign. Originally, it was the Oswald Innocence Project, but the Innocence Project threatened to sue us for using that word, so we changed it to the Oswald Innocence Campaign. And I am very proud of the fact that I've involved with, I think, some of the key truths of the JFK assassination, including the fact that Lee Harvey Oswald was standing in the doorway of the book depository during the shooting. We have a picture of him there. We can identify him, his face, his body, and also the clothes that he was wearing are a match to what Oswald was arrested in. So there's absolutely no doubt that that was him, even though, you know, half a century has been spent trying to lie about it by various government investigations, etc. But I've been involved with other aspects of the assassination. Another issue that I'm very proud of, having found out 
No, no, no Ralph, I'm, I'm sorry. That, that, I, I'm sorry okay. to interrupt you, but but you're echoing a little bit. Do you have headphones? All right. On? No, I'm uh, I'm hearing myself on the TV. I've got to cut off the. Uh, Oh, you're, you're listening to yourself on the radio even while you're talking on the radio. That's a terrible idea. Right, didn't so, didn't can, NPR can I, tell you not to do that? <laughs> can I shut off this program then and just talk to you on the phone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just turn, turn off the computer and just okay. talk on the phone. All right. I just turned. No, wait a second. I got one more button to close. <laughs> All right. How about that? Okay. Oh, wait a second. What? You're, you're still echoing. You're still echoing. You need to find a way well, to, have, to turn off your radio. I have every, I have every, I have every, uh, everything shut down. Hold on. I'll have to shut down the whole computer. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I, know, I know sometimes I, I have occasionally had telephone calls where somebody has had some kind of technology where they, they make you echo back on yourself in crazy ways. I think it's a way of, uh, of messing with you. That's happened to me a few times. Uh, not recently, fortunately. But I don't think Can that's what's hear, going on here. How are we doing now? How are we doing now? You're better. Now, now it's good, right? Yeah, you fixed All right, it. good. Congratulations. Okay. All right, good. Thank goodness. All right, so anyway, I've been involved with that. I've also been involved in The Innocence of Jack Ruby. He was not the man in the garage who shot at Oswald. You do a close look at him. You can see that the man who was doing that shooting was too short to be Ruby. He was too pudgy to be Ruby. Uh, his neck was too short. His hair was different. Uh, Ruby was a very deranged person. I believe he was MK Ultra, and he uh, he just witless and and they told him the only reason he had confessed to shooting Oswald is because they told him that he did it he, he he said to his dying breath that he had no memory of doing it he had no thought of doing it he had no intention of doing it he didn't even expect to see Oswald there and uh, there's a long story behind it but he yeah, got yeah, to that they, garage uh, have, you, have you seen have you seen the book they whipped him away have you All seen right. the book chaos so, about so that's this another big issue that i've been involved with but the most recent thing is the thing that you alluded to in the beginning which is the shot that hit kennedy in the back uh, now okay, keep in mind the official that, story I'm is sorry, sorry. Can, that you, that can you hear me ralph can you hear me okay yeah i can hear you okay yeah i just wanted yes. to mention that you're you're saying that uh jack ruby was mk ultrad is supported by some actual documentation that is discussed in the book Chaos, Charles Manson, the CIA, and the Secret History of the 60s, which was a bestseller by Tom O'Neill. And Tom wouldn't come on my show because he wants to be a respectable conspiracy theorist. And I guess I, I'm oh, not uh, okay. respectable enough for him. But anyway, well, uh, yeah, well, there, there's all to, kinds well, of evidence I need, for to, yeah. I need to read that book because I am absolutely convinced that that uh, that Ruby, he has all the earmarks. He was strung out on drugs. That was part of the regime when you're being MK Ultra. Uh, he uh, he, you know, they, they use hypnotic techniques on him. They're, yeah, he was definitely uh, Jolly Jolly West. What happened? You know, Jolly West was the uh, the only guy that they let in to stay with Oswald for an ex or not with Ruby rather for an extended period after Ruby was arrested well, and in prison. Well, it makes no sense. I mean, I know about, you know, Louis Joyland, as you say, Jolly was his nickname, West, the maestro of mind control was his nickname. And he was also, do you know that they also took him to treat and analyze Sirhan Sirhan? Right, right. 
Yeah, he, he had his fingers a famous, in a lot of uh, places. There's a famous uh, Harvard psych- psychologist who sort of took it on himself to find out about Sirhan Sirhan. And when he went and interviewed him, his name, I think, was Dan Hart, something like that, the, this Harvard psychologist. He said that uh, Sirhan Sirhan identified a picture of Joyland, of Jolly West as one of the doctors who was brought to see him and treat him after the shooting uh, of RFK. So, yeah, what, th- what about that? Uh, what if they actually flew him out from L.A. to Dallas to treat Ruby, even though Dallas is teeming with psychiatrists. Why did they have to fly one in from L.A.? Well, okay. Yeah, and, and the, one, psych- the one the guy who's connection. the top expert in CIA mind control. Yeah. He was the maestro of mind control, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I, I, I know our time is limited. I want to get to the main thrust of what, what what I did in the movie that is associated with the JFK assassination. And what it is is that you start with the official story, which is that there was a bullet that went through Kennedy and then into Connolly and then out of Connolly and back into Connolly and out of Connolly and then back into Connolly again. And it's absolutely preposterous. The rifle, the bullet, did not even have enough firepower to to go that far. In other words, the tissues have resistance, and it's the tissues that stop the bullet because the bullet is acting on the tissue, but the tissue is acting on the bullet, and a hunter actually took a rifle that was identical to Oswald and went out hunting boar with it in, in Georgia or Florida, one of those states, and he shot the boar, and from a closer distance than, Os- than supposedly Oswald shot from. And the bullet never even traversed. It shot it. He shot the animal in the head. He killed it. But the bullet did not even traverse the animal's head. So if it didn't traverse the how could it go through all the sinew in JFK's back and then out his throat and then go all the way through the torso of Connolly and then all the way through the wrist, and it burst the very thick radius bone in the wrist, so that would have provided a lot of resistance. And then supposedly it still had enough firepower to go into and settle deep in Connolly's thigh. So I want to point out that they could have easily tested this just by lining up animal carcasses that had approximately the same tissue density as all the tissues that supposedly that bullet traversed and see if they could make the bullet go that far by shooting it through that stack of tissues. They could have easily done that, and they wouldn't have had to kill any animals to do it because we kill a million animals a day in this country to create meat. So they could have easily just gone to a slaughterhouse and gotten everything they needed, and they would have been able to test it. But they've never tested it. And they're never going to test it, just like they're never going to count the gold in Fort Knox. They're not going to go shoot a boar in the head, eh, hoping that the bullet will go through the boar's head and then turn around and go back and it go is. through the, the boar's right. arm. And by the way, this hoof. was a very, very cheap <laughs> Italian. And I'm, listen, keep in mind, I'm the, an the Italian, cartoon, I'm Italian-American, so I don't disparage it. But it was, it was such a lousy weapon, so inaccurate uh, that they – it was actually referred to as the humanitarian weapon. But I want to point out that, so this was just a stock rifle of the Italian army during World War II. 
And you know, of course, it didn't go too well for Italy in World right. War II. Yeah, that was the Mandelkirk Carcano rifle, but that wasn't even found, right? I just want to mention on the air that World right? War II is something we should talk about sometime. But, uh, I mean, that, that rifle was not the one that was found. Theory of all. That, that, that Mandelkirk Carcano Italian rifle was not even the rifle that was found in the book depository originally, I believe. Well, they found, yeah, they, they, they started by finding a different rifle. But, but in other words, they settled on the idea that it was this uh, Carcano, uh, it was a Mauser that they originally found and, right. and paraded around. But then all of a sudden the story became that it was a Carcano. It's a mistake to refer to it as a Mandelkirk Carcano because the Mandelkirk only refers to the, this particular feed uh, that it had for the bullets where you can feed it. The, the rifle itself was just a Carcano. It was the standard issue for Italian soldiers during the war, World War II. But I want to point out that these military-grade rifles of World War II, it was very uncommon for them to traverse bodies, even the good ones like the Springfield uh, or the... Uh, I forget. I mean, I, I think the, the British standard issue is the Springfield, and the American one was. Uh, well, I forget the name of it now, but but it wasn't like a big problem that you know if you were behind another soldier and there was a battle going on that the bullet was going to hit that guy and go through him and then get you. Uh, I don't believe that they had any you know expectations uh, you know for that to happen, mm-hmm. uh, and. Like in this case, and those rifles were good rifles. I mean, this was just really a piece, cheap uh, piece of junk. So anyway, the point is that the entire basis of the single bullet theory is just complete nonsense. And it just has no credibility at all. So since that did not happen, then what are the alternatives? What happened? Well, here's what we know about the bullet that hit Kennedy in the back. We know where it hit him. It hit him right next to the spine, on the right side of the spine, and at the level of the third thoracic vertebra. Now, here's something your audience can do right now, just for the fun of it, right while they're sitting listening. Is if you yeah, you're not going to ask them to shoot themselves in the back, I hope. No, okay. If you just That'd be anatomically your head, impossible. Your, your, chin, your chin down to your chest and put your hand at the – area that's sort of the junction between the neck and the back, you're going to feel a big bump there. It's like your neck is smooth, and then you're going to get to this sort of big, prominent bump. Uh, uh, And the term they use for it in anatomy is vertebra promenase. Well, that big bump that you can feel with your finger, if you just do that, is the spinous process of the first thoracic vertebra. So that's two segments higher. So if you just go down the spine two segments that that'll put you at the third thoracic and then you go about an inch to your right and that's where something entered JFK's back but it did not go very far it only went in about an inch Dr. Humes the autopsist found the hole the Parkland doctors missed it completely and he took his pinky and he just tried to probe it with his pinky and he could only get in there to about, you know, maybe the second joint on the uh, on the uh, on the pinky. So in other words, not much more than an inch. That's as far as it went, and then it just stopped. So what was it? Well, it could not have been a bullet because you see, a bullet coming from that rifle or one like it 
had a flight speed of about 1,800 feet per second. So if that bullet reached his back, traveling at 1,800 feet per second, and then stopped within one inch, there, in other words, it, it decelerated from 1,800 feet per second to zero feet per second over a course of one inch. Well, that is impossible. There is no way that degree of deceleration could happen. There's just, it's just absolutely impossible. And if it did happen, it would literally have destroyed the bullet uh, because it would almost be like just hitting a wall and just literally getting crushed by the wall. Uh, remember, you know, we have laws of motion, Isaac Newton, and, you know, for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. So if the tissue density was so great as to be able to stop a bullet traveling at 1,800 feet per second within one inch, I mean, that tissue density would have literally destroyed the bullet, sort of like flattening a piece of chewing gum if you step on it. And furthermore, there was no bullet. There was, now, some people have tried to rationalize this and say, oh, well, they, the bullet came out. It fell out, uh, and it got, must have gotten tangled in his clothes. Well, you know, first of all, that is ridiculous. Some others have said, well, no, the bullet, it fell out, and it fell to the floor of the limo, and they must have confiscated it and just, and just you know, done away with it afterwards. But... These kinds of speculations well, are really I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sorry Ralph, what does the official story uh, say about that bullet? Well, the official story is that that bullet entered his back at that spot and kept going and tunneled a hole all the way through his body and came out his throat. That's the official so, so that, story. So that's the magic, that, that's the magic bullet entrance yeah, hole. Yeah, that's the, the magic bullet. They're saying it was the magic bullet. Yeah. And during the autopsy, Humes, he wanted to dissect Kennedy. In other words, open him up and follow the course of that bullet all the way through, just literally slice and dice him like a tuna to find out what happened. Well, there were FBI agents present. They weren't medical people. They were just FBI agents. And they forbid him to do it. They said, no, no, you can't do that. Uh, And I don't know what excuse. They probably said something like uh, it would just be too painful for the family if if you actually destroyed his body to that extent so no we don't want you to do that but reality is that you know they knew very well that he would have exposed that there was no single track that that went all the way through and there really could not have been i mean if if kennedy had been violated to that extent where a bullet literally tunneled a channel all the way through his body from back to front and right in the area of the spinal cord. I mean, I think personally he would have lost consciousness and he would have been just in a completely dysfunctional state. I mean, the, the an inflammatory process would have ensued so quickly. And, and not only that, but considering where it entered and where it came out, supposedly, if they were connected to each other, it seems just impossible to me that it would have missed the spinal cord. It's just, because it was only a little bit, it was dead center in front and just a little bit to the right in back. So if you draw a line to go from back to front, you're either going to go and hit the spinal cord or you're going to get so close to it that you're going to destroy the spinal nerves and 
you're going to create such an inflammatory process that for all practical purposes you went through the spinal cord. It would have been devastating, completely disabling and devastating and and in ways that go beyond what we see because we have this approved film, we can see, and I'm going to talk about that in in just a minute. So anyway, so what we know, though, from the facts is that he was hit in the back at that spot and it was a very, very shallow wound, so shallow that there is absolutely no way that it could have been made like a bullet because a bullet could not have stopped that fast. Now, I want to fast forward to 1975. Uh, This was 12 years after the assassination, and and the church committee was going on. And it, it came to their attention that there was this gun that the CIA had developed called the heart attack gun. And they brought in... The current um, CIA chief, whose name was William Colby, and I and you may know Kevin that William Colby died under yeah. very mysterious circumstances. Died in a boating accident. Which is to say, very frankly, that he was murdered. Yeah. But that 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 was much later. But at the time, he was the CIA chief, and he came in and testified to the Church Committee. And what he told them is, he said, "Yes, that was a CIA project. It was called the Heart Attack Gun." And it was developed uh, to basically as a weapon that could be used to take someone out and assassinate them and make it look like they had a heart attack. Because they have drugs that if they shoot them into you, it basically causes you to have a heart attack. And it, it may be indistinguishable from a normal, natural heart attack. And so it just looks like you had a heart attack. And he said the way the gun worked is that it had a missile that was solid ice and it contained the drug that they wanted to deliver and it would just, it would be shot into the person that was so small and once it penetrated your body, it would immediately just burst and melt. It was designed to do that and I understand how they could design it to do that because ice is a very unstable thing to begin with. It's it's this crystalline structure. It's sort of like a gem, and there are spaces between the hydrogen and the oxygen that aren't there in liquid water, but they are there. They form when water goes to ice, and it actually makes it very vulnerable to just sort of collapsing, And and one of the things that makes it do that is if if the water is contaminated with minerals that interfere with that hexagonal structure of the ice. So in other words, they they designed this so that this ice missile, and this is all directly from William Colby, would enter the body and then immediately burst and melt so that it was gone. And he said that what it would feel like to the person was no more than a mosquito bite. That, that's all you would feel. You would just get this little, little twitch, but as far as you know, it, whatever it was, it was nothing more than uh, a mosquito bite. And he said that besides having a drug to, to create a heart attack effect, uh, that they also had another drug that they used, and he said it was shellfish toxin. And the shellfish toxin 
was a nerve. It's a, it's a nerve agent, and it, it causes your, your muscles to go into heavy spasms, and it, it can kill you. Uh, I mean, if, for example, if your respiratory muscles are affected, you may stop breathing and be unable to breathe. So uh, That's why it, you shouldn't eat shellfish it, out of season. Well, yeah, probably shouldn't eat it, period. But anyway, uh, so he, he elaborated uh, about all this. And, uh, in fact, he said that besides finding the gun, they actually found some stored shellfish toxin that was, I guess, just being coveted uh, during the time that this was uh, ongoing. But he said he he spoke of it as if it was before his time and something that they just came upon and and is no longer being um, operational and but that this did go on and 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 they asked him point blank if if he knows of any instances in which the gun was actually used to assassinate anybody and he said you know that he did not know of any. But I wish that these men had been smart enough to figure out themselves that this may be what was used on JFK. And I believe it was. But, but, but wait a minute, a mosquito, talk... mosquito bite would be a lot smaller than the uh, bullet hole that, that uh, was it Hume uh, put his finger in. Well, here's the thing, though. I mean, other people have said that, too, but... And we have the picture from JFK's autopsy in which you can kind of see a hole there next to the third thoracic vertebra. And it does, you're right, it looks bigger than a mosquito bite. But you have to remember that not only Holmes, but Boswell and, and, and JFK's own doctor, everybody took turns probing that. And every time you probe it, you're making the hole bigger. So what it was in the beginning. Well, I hope nobody ever does that to my mosquito bite. <laughs> okay, but uh, but now let's get to uh, and because there's a lot of intrigue involved with this, uh, and it took me a while to figure it out, and and I had help along the way from people who were working with me. But basically, uh, what happened with this? It, we really have to start with this Apruder film. Do you know there's a lot of debate about how authentic is it? Did they alter this Apruder film? And when I hear this kind of this discussion, this argument, I I almost have to laugh because they absolutely butchered and did Frankensteinian surgery on that Zapruder film. The fact is that the Zapruder film was falsified to make it look like Kennedy was not hit until he got pretty much to the bottom of the hill, that he rode down the hill in Dilly Plaza, because that's how it is. You know, I've been there many times now. And basically, when you're at the top of Dilly Plaza, where the book depository is uh, there on the corner of Houston, you're kind of at the top, the peak of Dilly Plaza. And then there's a long hill that just takes you down, and then you know, it gets flat again at the bottom, but there's a big, there's a hill there, and the film makes it look like they rounded the corner, and then Kennedy rode down the hill, smiling and waving at all the people, 
And then he passed behind the sign, because there was a freeway sign there. And in the Zapruder film, there really was a sign there, but what they did was they enlarged it. They, They basically created a false sign that they put over the one that was there in order to for that to serve as the magician's curtain. You know how a magician may have something and then he goes behind the curtain and then he removes the curtain and it's something else. Uh, you know, the rabbit turned into a bunch to a bunch of flowers or something. Uh, well, the magician's curtain in the Zapruder film is that freeway sign because Kennedy passes behind the freeway sign, smiling and waving. Then he disappears. And then when he comes back out on the other side of the sign, He's reacting to having been shot in the throat where he can't breathe and he brings his hands up and he's obviously struggling uh, to breathe and he's in a very, very bad way in a panic. Uh, so that, that's the story that they want to tell. That's not what happened. What actually happened was that Kennedy was shot in the back very high on the hill. He was still in front of the book depository when that shot hit him. He was right well put it this way he's about probably at the about where the obelisk is there's this sort of monument there on elm street uh just a little past the book depository and that's about where kennedy was hit in the back now, how, do, how do we know that all right well i'll tell you why there's 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 a couple of things i can cite first of all we know that he stopped waving and smiling and we know that because there were still pictures taken by other photographers which show that he wasn't waving in the croft photo he wasn't uh waving uh in the bet bet betzner photo he isn't waving and in the willis slide he's not waving and yet in his Zapruder film, it looks like he was waving all the way until he reached the sign. No, he stopped waving right after he got to uh, the end of the building, of the, the book depository, and he came down that hill, uh, and he wasn't waving. Why wasn't he waving? And remember, he's a politician. It was a political trip. He was there to try to, you know, win Texas. And, yes, and he was a seasoned politician. He would have been smiling, waving, uh, but... Something was wrong. So, and then in her testimony, Jackie, they asked her, they said, when did you first realize there was something wrong? And she said, well, I turned and looked at Jack, and I noticed that he had a quizzical look on his face. Now, I'm quoting her there. She, that's the word she used, quizzical. And, and, I, and I think it was a, a good choice of words because... See, he was hit with something in the back, and it didn't feel like a bullet, but, you know, it just felt like something. And then keep in mind that the limo was deliberately being rode very slowly. And when I say slowly, it must have slowed down to less than 10 miles per hour Mm -hmm. so that it would give them time. Uh, They got the bullet, they got the ice flechette into him, and they knew that, you know, that, Nerve agent had to seep in and take effect, and right. And, 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 so and I'm familiar it, with some of the work that's been done showing that the Zapruder film was altered, and in order, in part, to to try to disguise the fact that the limousine slowed so much 
uh, just yeah, as well, it was that, entering the kill well, zone. That, 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 that to me, yeah, that is the most obvious thing that they did is they took out frames to hide the fact that – now, listen, in case anybody wants to know, there's a very simple way of absolutely knowing beyond doubt that that limousine slowed to an absolute crawl, and I mean less than 10 miles an hour, and that's because as it reached Gene Hill and Mary Mormon, Gene Hill actually talked to the president. She said to him, as he was passing her, Mr. President, would you look this way? We want to take your picture. Now, even if a person was riding by you at, say, even 15 miles an hour, you're standing there, they're moving by you at that speed, you would not have time to say that. They, they, would, they would not... I mean, he, he must have been practically stopped in order for her to be able to say that to him and expect him to hear it. And and just the fact that she reported saying all that to him means that he was, that vehicle was going very, very, very slowly. All right, so uh, finally, okay, it gets to, to the kill zone. They, you see, they did not want to actually kill Kennedy in Upper Daly Plaza because there were so many people around. I mean, there was a, it was just like a sardine can, the way people were lined up on Houston Street, on Main Street, and at the top of Elm Street. But once you got down to Lower Daly Plaza, that grassy area, there was just the a handful knoll. of people. Yep. The grassy knoll. There was just a handful of people. And I think some of them were, uh, you might say, plants. They were their people. But Mary Mormon and Gene Hill, the reason that, because they were keeping people out of there. They were telling people that they couldn't stay there. I mean, we have people who said that they were told that they couldn't stay there. But, but Gene Hill and Mary Mormon, they got there early that morning. They actually waited for hours, you know, in, the, in that very warm November day that it happened to be, uh, and once they got their spots, I guess nobody asked them to leave. But there were very, very few people there, and they didn't want too many people when they actually started uh, shooting him. So once he uh, got down to that level, right about right a little before where Zapruder was, that's when the real firing started. He was he was shot in the throat, and that shot also. Uh, is very, very, very puzzling because uh, it didn't go very far either. That may also have been uh, an ice flashhead. And also, there was no bullet it found uh, either. So, uh, and then he, of course, ultimately he was, he was shot in the head. But the other big piece of evidence from the Zapruder film that, Kennedy was intoxicated. He was actually poisoned. Is that first of all, he went into a type of spastic paralysis where he lost control of his muscles and they started seizing up. I mean, that's what nerve agents do. And I sent you some of the pictures, or I sent you the link to some of the pictures which show that when he raised his hands to his throat when he was trying to deal with the obstruction, apparently... Um, Whatever it is that hit him in the throat was momentarily uh, disrupting his uh, breathing, and he was sort of suffocating. And But that cleared quickly because he coughed. You see, that's what he did. He raised his hand, 
and apparently he pulled on his tie with his left hand to loosen it, and then he coughed, and he cleared whatever it was. Now, I talked about that with Dr. David Mantic, and, and I asked him what he thinks it was that Kennedy was choking on, and he said it may have just been a bolus of blood, and then which would have easily been, you know, you know, relieved, released by coughing. And after that, he apparently was able to breathe all right. But he couldn't put his arms down. He had raised his arms in a very weird way. Because normally when you bring your hands up to your throat, as he was trying to do, you don't bother lifting your elbow because you don't need to lift your elbow. The way you do it is you just lift your hand and you rotate your elbow. It's, it's designed to rotate so that you can just twist it and you can leave your elbow down and just do whatever you have to do with your hands at the level of your throat. But in his case, he had this over-firing of muscles going on, so his deltoid muscles went into action, I think involuntarily, and just brought his elbows up and out. And then after that, he was unable to put his arms down. And Jackie apparently realized that something was wrong, and she was very... I think, affected by seeing him there just holding his arms up so weirdly. And so she put her hand on his elbow and pressed and tried to get him to put his arm down. Uh, But he never did. Uh, When she pressed, he, he leaned a little bit towards her, but he never did put his arm down. And this seizing up of his muscles just continued all the way until he was finally shot in the head and killed. And he was killed on the spot. You know, he still had some vital signs when he got to the hospital, but he was dead uh, before he got to the hospital. But the point I want to make is that there was no physical trauma to him prior to that that could possibly have caused that neurological effect. He didn't have any brain damage. He didn't have any spinal uh, damage. There was nothing affecting his nervous system that could have done that to him. The only rational explanation for what we see in the Zapruder film of his derangement there is that he was affected by a chemical. Okay, no, l- let, me just, let me just question that. Like, okay, if, if uh, let's just say you were wrong and some kind of bullet actually could have uh, entered, but um, maybe not exited or fallen out or something, uh, rather than an ice flechette, and it was pretty close to the spinal column, couldn't that possibly have caused the same sort of reaction? No, no, because no, look, at they, they announced that there was absolutely no damage to his spinal column, to his spinal cord, or even to his sp- The only thing they reported in the autopsy is that there was a crack in the transverse process of one of his vertebrae, I forget which one, I think C5, something like that, just a hairline fracture in the transverse process of one vertebra. That's the only effect to anything related to his spinal uh, cord or spinal column that that was affected. So, no, there's absolutely no chance of that. The, the bullet, even if it had been a bullet, and even somehow magically if it could have stopped within a, a distance, gone from full velocity to stillness over one, a space of one inch, even if that were possible, there was nothing there but soft tissue that that could have been affected 
and it just and and Dr. Mantic agreed with me. And keep in mind, he's a board certified radiologist, and uh, he's got several medical degrees. But he said that for all practical purposes, the shot to the back was like a scratch. That was his word. I'm quoting him. He said, "Yeah, it was like a scratch. Uh, it just did not do any, you know, significant." you know, harm to him uh, at all. So did did you raise this possibility of, of an ice flechette with a nerve agent with Dr. Mantic? Yes, I've raised it. He, I mean, uh, we, we've discussed it briefly. Uh, I'm not going to speak for him about this. I don't know where exactly he stands on it right now, but he certainly knows uh, what my position is. But the point is that there really is absolutely no evidence of any physical trauma that could have affected his nervous system that way. And, and the frame, plain truth is nobody has ever even postulated, uh, you know, a, you know, any such thing. Uh, and I'll tell you something else that if you have a physical trauma to a nerve, the effect that it's going to have is going to be to basically denervate the nerve. In other words, to just basically turn it so that the muscle supplied by that nerve is just going to go flaccid and it's just going to become limp. But that was not the issue with Kenny. His his nerves were intact uh, and his muscles were firing. The problem was the opposite. They were over-firing. See, the way these nerve agents work is that when you contract a muscle... There's a neurotransmitter that called acetylcholine that that actually chemically stimulates the actual contraction. But then you, you know the contraction needs to end; it can't just keep going. So there's an enzyme called cholinesterase that that gets poured into the synaptic cleft, and that basically neutralizes the acetylcholine, and so now the muscle relaxes. Well, the nerve agents. They work by just destroying cholinesterase, so your your contractions just become permanent. They just you just can't let go. It just it just becomes a, a held, fixed uh, contraction, a spasm that you just cannot control, and you can't do anything about it, and uh, and it just gets uh, worse and worse and worse, and and that was evidently happening to, to Kennedy because he looks more more bound up as the seconds tick by in the Zapruder film where you can see that his trapezius muscle uh, is now all seized up and his uh, erector spinae muscles are all seized up. He was just a mess. I mean, he was just... But then the other thing is his mind. You know, Kennedy was a warrior in World War II. He was a seaman. He was He was in battle. He knew what it was like to be under attack, and he proved that he kept his cool when he was under attack and acted decisively. Well, in this case, you would think that Kennedy would have been aware that he was being shot at, and he would have taken evasive action. He would have lowered himself in the car, and he would have had his wife get down. He would have had everybody get down, and he would have ordered the driver to floor it, to just get out of there because they're being shot, they're being under attack. He didn't do anything like that. And and worse, he, he just was 
it was like he was inebriated. That's the impression that we get in the Zapruder film is that he just seems to be completely out of it mentally and he uh, is helpless and he is childlike. And this is in sharp contrast to how he was before any of this started. He was quick and quick-witted and he was on top of everything and he was certainly had his wits about him that day prior to any of this happening. Of course, a, a, so ske- this, a skeptic could raise the point that when he was on the PT boat, he knew he was going to be shot at, so he was ready to react very, very quickly uh, to the fact that he was being shot at, and he would react you know, knowing he was being shot at, and he would take evasive action. However, when he's going uh, down you know, the parade route in the motorcade, waving at people, uh, he might be expected to not well, wait a think but, he was you know, going to be shot at. That, but that, that, I mean, it's a reasonable speculation, but it really isn't well-founded, Kevin, because, first of all, you know, he was scheduled to go to Chicago a month before in October to attend the Army-Navy game. He was going to spend one half sitting on the Army side rooting for them and then spend the second half on the Navy side rooting for them. And that trip got canceled because of a, a threat, of, of, of a shooting threat that, that got uh, – uncovered in Chicago. So there was that, and he knew that the trip got canceled, and that that's why it was canceled. And then the thing, other thing was that his brother Robert was telling him all the time, you know, they're going to kill you. These people, I mean, they're not going to stop at anything. Uh, you've got to realize that you can't put it past them, that they're just going to shoot you when you're so what, what, what's, you know, your, what's your source on that, Ralph? I, I wasn't aware that, that uh, Bobby Kennedy had repeatedly warned JFK about that. Well, uh, one source would be uh, the guy who wrote the book Brothers. Uh, David Talbot. Yeah, Talbot. Yeah, okay. Uh, he was certainly uh, aware. And there are other sources. Uh, uh, no, absolutely. Robert Kennedy uh was aware of uh, and was just fully conscious of the idea that assassination might be what is going to be yeah, thought. I'm, uh, I'm aware that after okay. the fact, Bobby Kennedy knew that he, you know, it was very likely that his brother had been killed. Well, by no, these I, I re- what I but, remember reading yeah. about it is that you know that supposedly JFK responded very philosophically. Well, if they're going to get me, they're going to get me, and uh, and he, you know, he had this poem that was his favorite poem. Do you know about that? Uh, it, 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 had, it was written by an American who volunteered to fight in World War I before the U.S. got into World War I. And, you know, I'll tell you, that's another, I'd love to do a program on the World Wars with you because I have so many things I can tell you. Yeah, we should do but, that. Uh, at, it's interesting you uh, mention that because I'm, I'm going to have a really interesting uh, World War II interview in a couple of weeks with uh, Sean McMeekin who is the author of the book Stalin's War, which is a, a wonderful sort of revisionist look at World War II focusing on Stalin. Oh, wow. Well, that sounds very, you know, very interesting. But uh, but anyway, uh, uh, the name of the poem was I, I, I Have a Rendezvous with Death. That's the name of the poem. I have a rendezvous with death in some fertile plain, uh, on the spring day, I mean, I, I'm not remembering the exact thing, but it, actually, I'm not doing it justice. It really, it's actually a very lovely poem, but it, 
it's basically the idea is of a, of a soldier's realization that there's a darn good chance that he's going to get killed, and the and the really eerie irony of it is that, like I said, he was a, an American that he did get killed in a battle uh, in France uh, in World War One. So anyway, it was it was JFK's favorite poem, and the the rumor is that he got Carolyn. He 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 insisted that she learn the poem and and be able to recite it to him. So it's kind of strange to get a little girl to do that. But uh, so you know, like I said, he um, JFK had a very weird attitude about uh, about that. And he kind of refused. Yeah, he just basically refused to. To just take seriously, you know, you know these threats. Even though, like I say, there were he was aware that he was going to go to Chicago, and the only reason that he did not go in October was his safety. They felt that they couldn't take the chance uh, of, of of sending him. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, I, I so, just yeah. I just pulled up that poem. I have a rendezvous with death. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah. There's a there's a line. I have a rendezvous with death on some scarred slope of battered hill. Uh, that could almost be uh, you know, on some scarred slope of grassy knoll. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I have a rendezvous with death. JFK's favorite poem. But um, anyway, uh, so anyway, so what I would tell people when I try to sell them on the idea that JFK really was hit in the back with this. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not the first. Uh, I'm not, I wasn't the first one to suggest that there was a guy. I wish I could remember his name. About ten years ago, on the education forum, uh, he uh, he he proposed it uh, and gave a lot of documentation about the weapon. And so that was he was the first one that I know of to do it. But then there was another guy who uh, suggested something similar, except that. His thought was that the umbrella, that the umbrella man had, that that was a weapon, and that the ice flechette came out of the end of the umbrella. But that, no, that. Yeah, I actually think I, I regret, heard that one I regret, too. Yeah, yeah uh, his, his name was Richard something. Um, I forget his last name, but uh, that's unfortunate because no, that wasn't it. Uh, it was a gun, and you know, and if you go, if you look up the church committee. Uh, 1975, uh, the heart attack gun. They they have a picture of Senator Church holding the gun, and it it looks like a it was a 38, and you know it it had some revisions done to it, and you can see uh, Barry Goldwater sitting next to him, a younger uh, looking Barry Goldwater, um, and obviously actually. No, I take it back. That was, uh, yeah, that was long after the election. So no, that was after uh, Goldwater lost to uh, to LBJ. But uh, yeah, you can see uh, Church and Goldwater there, and Church is holding the gun up, and that I believe is the kind of gun. Uh, it's not that very gun. A gun like that one is, is what was used on uh, JFK. But, well, wait a minute, Ralph. Are you? How can you be sure that they wouldn't have something similar to that that operates uh, disguised as an umbrella? Well, because I think that the umbrella man was there as a signaler. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, well, but, and, and also, have you thought about the symbolism of that umbrella? Laurent Guyano, 
uh, whose book From Yahweh to Zion I translated, has written a very interesting sort of speculative piece on how the uh, you know the umbrella was the symbol of Churchill's appeasement, and that the people who hated JFK saw him as a an appeaser of Nazis and aggressors and communists and so on and so forth. Laurent thinks it's mostly an appeaser of Nazis because Laurent thinks the whole Kennedy family was quote unquote anti-Semitic, and that the major motive for killing well, Kennedy was, was all, his plan yeah. to shut down Israel's nuclear program. Okay, but keep in mind. It wasn't Churchill. Churchill never appeased Hitler. No, no, uh, Chamberlain. Chamberlain. I mean, yeah. Chamberlain. Yeah, yeah. Chamberlain is used. Neville Chamberlain yeah. is the guy who said we have peace in our time, and he was. He's been reviled in history ever since. Now, look, we. I know we. This is a little off, but you know the fact of the matter is that the territory that Hitler was trying to get back was all German territory that was taken away from Germany at the end of World War. One right, and what he was trying to do was put Dan, Germany Dancing back together. Dancing quarter in the Rhineland, right? All yeah, the Rhineland and and also uh, the Sudenland. This was an area that became Czechoslovakia. They, 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 they created this country of Czechoslovakia and gave them this German area called the Sudenland, which was a very it was actually the richest farmland of Germany. Now we're we're going to have to and, uh, summarize this real quickly. Yeah. We only have two minutes or maybe one minute. All right. All right. So, all right. All right very good. Let me, let me summarize it by this way and saying this way. All right. So I have this very strong conviction that JFK was hit in the back with an isolate shed that contained a nerve agent, probably shellfish toxin, that spasmodically paralyzed him. It also numbed his mind. And this set him up so that he would be a sitting duck and take no evasive action. The real shooting started to kill him in lower Dealy Plaza. So now, how did I put that, that in my movie? That's pretty good. Well, that actually... Okay, well, how yeah. I, the way I put it into the movie is, first mm -hmm. of all, we don't use the shellfish toxin in the movie. What we do is we use the other drug that Colby referred to, which is the heart attack drug. And I don't really know what the drug was, uh, but I do know, I've heard before, that they have used drugs that uh, can mimic a heart attack. Now, the really scary thing about this, Kevin is that we know there are people who died very suspiciously and you might say auspiciously of heart attacks when it was very convenient for them to die of a heart attack. And they may have been the victims of the heart attack gun used with the heart attack drug. For example, Billy Lovelady, when the, when the HSA final report came out, which was in January of 1979, lo and behold, 41-year-old Billy Lovelady has a fatal heart attack. No history of heart, heart attacks or heart disease that we know of. Only 41 years old. Wasn't overweight. And, and according to his wife, yeah, this, it just came from out of the blue. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of concern. You see, Billy Lovely wasn't a good liar. And he did not want want to have to keep doing this. He just, and let, let's he remind the listeners, under pressure. quickly remind and the listeners that so, Lo Lovelady and Oswald were possibly mistaken for each other. The picture of Oswald in the doorway, uh, proving Oswald right. was innocent, actually was, they claim, the official story says that was Billy Lovelady. Right. And but I'm sorry, we, see, we hit the, a, hit the bumper music. He was such a bad liar that one of the <laughs> lawyers from the HSCA actually resigned 
so that he could then become so it, Billy basically it was, it was very convenient for the perps that Billy Lovelady keeled over of a heart attack at age 41 I'm sorry we got the bumper is, music in the background Ralph I have to sign off but thank you so much I can't wait to bring you back to talk a little more about this and about world wars as well the pro bono watchman I've got it linked at truthjihad.com click on the radio schedule and you can get there so thanks for listening folks uh, truthjihad.com is the site see you next week